When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. I am here to tell you as a real life example that your hardships, whatever those things that you feel at the moment are going to crush you, they can be redeemed. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Kimberly Stark from Flourish Consultancy. Thanks for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. Oh my gosh, it's completely my pleasure. I so am behind the work that you're doing. I love that the work and the passion for the work leads from your story and your journey. And I just like couldn't be more behind it. So it's completely my pleasure to be chatting with you today. Absolutely. Well, and I know for you with Flourish, it's the same type of scenario, you know, Um, and I do want to touch a little bit about that to be transparent with people because I believe in it. Kim and I have been friends since we were just little tiny kids. So, Uh, but we lost touch for probably, geez, a good 20 years, maybe. So, uh, ironically, to, uh, to have life experiences lead us to our passions that we're doing now. And uh, you're doing amazing work. And what I really loved when I we were talking, um, it's such a tough time right now. We're coming out of two years of uncertainty and so much. And you're working with different organizations. It's not just uh, private entities, but public entities as well, even in educational institutions. What are some of the toughest things you're seeing when you go in with you and your staff of Flourish? Because you do focus so much on the mental health aspects and creating a healthy work environment. And it's challenging when we're going back mm-hmm. to work. We're seeing it in the news. There's certain companies mm-hmm. that, I mean, Apple's got a debauchery going on and so many different mm-hmm. companies about getting back into an office environment and being productive. Yeah, for sure. So a couple of things. There's, there's, for my, my friends who are leaders within like major big corporations, they're, they're having a really tough time getting people back in and accustomed. So like on the corporate side, um, for sure, that's a challenge, even though that physical time together, um, there's a correlation between that and higher productivity and greater learning for the people. So there's a reason to bring people back together, at least to some capacity, maybe not at the same level as it was before, like a full time in the office. Um, but it is, has been a challenge, I know, for those leaders to make that happen. Secondly, 
you said like, what, what are one of the challenges I've, one of the main challenges I find is that it's like investing, right? The, I, the biggest hurdle I have is that people say the world is so crazy. My life is so crazy, particularly educators. So we work a lot with teachers and, and uh, a lot of the conversations I have as far as like on the leadership side are these leaders within education and they're exhausted. They're Mm -hmm. completely exhausted. So it's a difficult thing to then ask these educators who are already zoom fatigued to come into one more meeting. And so getting over that hurdle and convincing them like you guys, I promise you, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but if you take the time and spend the extra time first on focusing on your own mental health and just overall well-being, I promise you it'll it'll result tenfold in sure. your productivity and having more time. And not only that, like being able to just handle your life, <laughs> um, but getting them into that space and saying like, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that is, is a challenge on the front end. What is the challenge that you're really having at, with the individual? Because I know with me, I, um, you know, counseling people, I don't totally sponsor anyone in AA, but I will, you know, do a lot of the conversations of really getting someone on board with themselves. It is such a mm-hmm. hard challenge for someone to realize, you know, your problem, it's you and the way you think. Totally. Um, a couple things. We, the program leads with how to build true resilience and strategy through adversity. I start there because when you're in the middle of crisis or trauma or something has all of a sudden come before you, this like foreign element that sends you into chaos, you don't know where to start. At least I didn't know where to start. And you often find that you're like, Hey, I need to just like be able to either number one, like handle this and make it through this. Or even more than that, like say you're in a place where you just want to level up your life and your wellness. We have all these tools, the tools and the resources are out there, but a lot of times we don't know where to start. So what Flourish does is provide this um, pathway and model on step one, step two is what you do. Okay. So once we teach our clients the model of what that is, we then apply that to the key, and I can talk about that in a minute, but uh, the key areas of well-being, and we the main ones we talk about are like your physical health. Um, but in physical health, we get, you know, cognitive and gut health and breathing and everything in that, not just like diet and exercise, like when we were kids, but, um, and then relationship health and livelihood, which is our career, uh, finance and ultimately purpose well-being. Mm. And the way the course is structured is to apply that model. We call it, we divide it into two ways. And to your point here, we divide it into the knowing and the doing. The Dr. Lori uh, Santos out of Yale came up with this thing called that she called it the GI Joe fallacy. And okay. you remember GI Joe, right? Because we both grew up. Ben, my brother, like we had GI Joe in on in our house. What are you talking um, about? I had GI Joe okay. everything. Don't you remember? I had the big <laughs> well, aircraft carrier that everybody wanted. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. Uh, um, but the GI Joe fallacy is this, like, right? So GI Joe, this army guy, he goes off on this adventure, and at the sure. end of the of the show, he's like, "Well, kids, now you know." And knowing is half the battle. But what Dr. Lori Santos realizes is, like, knowing is not half the battle. How do we get from the knowing part to the actually seeing real change in our lives? And so the class and what we're focused on with our clients is not only relaying the, the latest information and research, but how do we get them? to actually see real change and be able to to implement this knowledge into their lives to see real change. And we've been having some success in that area, which is really exciting. 
What things are you using for success? Because boy, listening to you, this is like talking to other people with the newcomers in, in AA meetings. I, I It's like yeah. the same thing. Like, guys, trust us, you can and you're going to change, but it may yeah. not every little thing like that, but it, it can happen. So what are tools That's are right. you really employing for this? Sure. Okay. So let me tell you the structure of the class. So week one, we're going to hit five. The, the flourish model is five steps. The first one is what we go over in the first course, and it's called perspective. It pulls from the research of, you know, total visionaries and leaders like Victor Frankl, who talks about getting through real adversity. We have to shift our perspective of hardship itself and understand that we can utilize it for our growth. We talk about post-traumatic growth and that, you know, when researchers first started looking at people who came on the other side of trauma, they thought they came back in one of two ways, either debilitating depression and anxiety, or some people bounce back. But when they looked at the research, they realized there was this third way. Some people not only bounce back, they bounce forward. And they call that post-traumatic growth. Hmm. So week one, we do a deep dive into this key first step of being able to look at our lives, look at our stories, look at the things we've been through, and also like moving forward, always implementing this and shifting our perspective of hardship itself, understanding that we can utilize it for our greatest strength. So is that step one trauma it's an interesting yeah. thing uh you know a lot of work and as you you know and people that have listened to enough episodes know my trauma and stuff that it that occurred um but a real great thing that was said to me as far as trauma is any of those incidences have the value you give them so how is it that you Ooh. work with people on kind of that like Yes, it's serious. It's 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 serious if it's something nefarious that happened to you or evil. Yes, it's absolutely trauma, but it could be the girl that said no to going to prom. It could be you know whatever it is and how we kind of view ourselves. What actual some of the things that maybe you've had to work with in some of your your the communities you've touched that that you're seeing and kind of getting them to change their mind about their trauma or sure. the utilization of in moving forward. Sure. So one of the exercises that we do is called Finding Your Sue. We actually play the song, uh, A Boy Named Sue by Johnny Cash. Are you familiar with that song? <laughs> My son's middle name is Cash. Of course I am. <laughs> so I like it because I feel like it's a humorous, um, but really true like story and example, uh, allegory, I guess if that's the right word, but of... Um, of something we think is our greatest adversity in life. And then you have this battle. And in his that case, it's like a bar fight and the blood and the beer. And then and that's what it feels like when we wrestle with these kind of hardships in our life. It feels like a bar fight, right? And then you come out on the other side of that. And all of a sudden, he has this realization. And his dad says, listen, I wasn't going to be in your life. So I knew I had to name you Sue to make you strong because you'd either like get tough or die. So, and then he has this, oh, so I shift to his perspective shifts. And he's like, what can I say to that? And I give him a hug and blah, blah, blah. Right. So I then ask our clients, um, what is your Sue? What is that thing that when you're going through it, maybe it was like an overarching Sue, like over the course of your life. Maybe it was a Sue that just happened to you. But what is that thing where um, you, when you're going through it, are like, this is the worst thing ever. And I hate it. I hate this so much. But if you are able to shift your perspective on it, you understand that it can be the catalyst to your greatest strength. So we have this real time where they begin to identify. And what I, why I like this exercise so much is that everybody has one. Everybody has one. When you put it in that context 
Um, I even had, I had this client recently where it wasn't even client. It was more of like a, a new, like kind of prospecting thing. And this guy said, well, what do you do with people who are like, good, you know, like, um, they don't really have anything. And it was he and his wife. And she turns to him and, and I was like, what did you see when she's like, are you kidding me? Like, and he's like well, <laughs> and he absolutely without sharing his story, had this really challenging Sue that he could um, look at. So, but I, you hear all kinds of stories, all kinds of stories from, Hey, I moved from South Africa when I was 12 and I had to totally start over to like the more normal, not normal, but like divorce and uh, addiction yeah. and stories like that. Um, so that is one of the steps and examples of trying to retrain the mind, to look at these challenges. So that's like on the micro level, but on even on the, I mean, on the macro level, but even on the micro level of like, you're, you're driving to work and your car gets a flat tire, like instead of losing your shit, like how do you <laughs> change your perspective on that? Be like, Hey, like, how can I, what can this teach me? How can I use this for my growth? And even on these small uh, situations. And if you can really do that and you begin to practice that, like it's a magic first step. Yeah. And it's a challenging first step, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it is a challenging first step. A hundred percent. I'm going to yeah. have to remember that. I'm going to have to use Sue. I'm going to, I'm going to have to steal some of your, your, your intellectual I property. No, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you should, oh my God. Do you know how much that would mean to me? If I was just like out there and I heard someone say, what is your Sue? Even <laughs> that, like hearing my clients say it and, and say some of the language back, you do, you feel like it's like, I don't know. I can only imagine it's like an, how an artist feels when, we, when they hear their song on the radio. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we're, we're seeing it though, and I'm sure you're challenged with this, with the organizations you go into, like you said, education, but you do do private organizations and everything else, your whole team. But I mean, you know, turnover rates getting big, uh, you know, retention is tough with this, with people coming back because we got so much for two years, a lot of us into a certain way of doing things. And now we're having to readjust as the work environment is becoming reacclimated. And what issues are you seeing there? with the true reacclimation into this kind of stuff. Like you said, flat tires weren't really an issue as often because, you know, my biggest commute was 10 minutes, you know? So yeah. it's changing for people getting back into the hustle and bustle. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. A hundred percent. So in the second week, we talk about the work of Dr. Virginia Satir's Roadmap to Transition. And why it's important is because once you understand that there's like research that backs that through any transition that anyone goes through, you're going to hit these like kind of six milestones throughout the course of it. Mm -hmm. And why it matters is that way, like when you're in it, when you're in some sort of transition and say you're stuck in like, the chaos, 
period, you can you can begin to identify it. And why it matters, like on a say, for instance, you know, like with one of our clients, Mutual of Omaha, when you provide this information, it creates a shared language on the team. So when they, to your point, when they go through transition, for instance, COVID working from home to COVID, post-COVID, um, which by the way, I mean, a lot of the data is probably showing that the effects of COVID is going to be far reaching and, and long lasting and we're not past it. But as now we're moving into this new normal of maybe um, like dual office space, like going back to the office and also being home, it's another transition to your point. Uh, so she talks about the, the five or the six steps of this. Like you have your status quo and you know that's kind of like when the waves are calm and everything feels kind of normal and then all of a sudden you have what she calls a foreign element donald miller is a writer and he calls it an, an inciting incident but it's basically that thing that happens to you that could happen in a in a flash either a call into your boss's office or a conversation with your partner or call from your doctor where all of a sudden you realize everything's changed in a yeah. in a heartbeat and you can, you know, it could be a positive for an element too. Maybe you have decided to take a new job or to move to a new area, but it's still that thing that now everything has changed. And maybe you don't even have the option of going back. The next step after that is chaos. And that's what we're <laughs> feeling a lot. And what we have felt a lot. Like, and for me, you know, you and I grew up on the Monterey Bay. So right. we grew up surfing. My, you know, as you know, my dad taught me how to surf. And so for me, that chaos feels like, were out there and it was a wave that was just a little too big for me <laughs> and, I'm under and I'm spinning around and I can't find up from down I'm trying to like look for the ground to hit myself back up um you don't know if you're gonna like have enough breath to maybe survive it it's not yeah. a fun phase but again when we can identify like oh this is why it's so challenging I'm just in the, the chaos phase then we start can start to look for the next phases and I can go on like this there's six more steps but I mean there's three more steps but eventually you hit that kind of normalcy again and as I mentioned why it matters and why it's helpful like in a corporate setting or even in education or with colleagues just in general is to be able to provide this common language sure. to be able to, to, to describe um, and implement a transition maybe it's like a new process at work or even Here's the thing, like what I am so excited about is that the adversity that employees are facing, that people face just in general in their personal lives, not even like something around work, has right. a measurable impact on the company. And it always has. We just yeah. didn't really talk about it as much. So if someone's going, is in chaos and has just had a foreign element hit, um, maybe their father got sick or whatever it is, that they're going to be in this chaos phase and that for sure is going to that's going to affect their personhood, which affects their work. But if you're a manager who can talk about this process and has the language to share this experience, because you're not going to get out of it. Like your employees are going to go through this regardless. So right. what are we going to do about it? And if we can have this language to be able to, um, to support each other in that process, it's, it's, it's hugely beneficial. Absolutely. And, you know, and, I don't know if you've caught on episodes, Kim, that you've listened to. Um, you know, we talk about what's the opposite, opposite of addiction. Some people think it's sobriety. No, it's connectivity. And if we can have that within yeah. our office environments, because obviously, you know, there's so many different forms of connectivity. Of course, as we know, there's there's uh, romantic relationship, there's 
there's workspace, there's friendship, there's, you know, we, we have all this. And it's so, um, I love that you're pointing out that importance of communication, because I think from my perspective and things that I went through with life is I always expected others to understand why I was or feeling the way I was or acting the way I was. And, you know, I had to, I had to uh, grow a little up uh, and and grow, grow some balls to be a little. And it's almost narcissistic in itself to just expect people to understand, don't you know what I'm going through? And people don't, we Mm. have to communicate. Mm. It it has to be out there. Communication is such a key for societal interaction, be it verbal or nonverbal. And of course we we communicate what 95% nonverbal is the majority of our communication. So I don't know that stat, but I can see why that would be the case. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that you, you might face with getting people to actually communicate? Cause it's, it's hard to go. Like what, what issue is really there with getting people to communicate, especially men? We're, we're the worst. Ooh, I know. I love that. I love that topic because I feel really passionate about like, so let's talk about, there's so many things. So let's talk about men specifically. Please. I, we, we have a flourish for men group starting this summer because I'm, I am totally like pro woman and support women. But I also, I mean, I'm raising two sons. I care about this process. And what I find is that men specifically, um, while women more naturally show up and they chat and they're talking about their emotions and what they're going through and hardships, men, to your point, unless you're a part of like a men's Bible study or AA or another great organization that provides this platform, a lot of men don't have this like opportunity to begin. They don't have the conversation. They don't have the questions. They don't have other men who are like willing to go there with them. And so that is like the heart of what we're trying to provide for this flourish for men's group. Secondly, um, a key, okay. The core of all of this is zeitgeist. It's a changing of our entire cultural system and structure, <laughs> which sounds really big and daunting, but you're doing that. You're doing it. You're starting to show up. The voices that are out there saying, Hey, like, it's okay to start talking about these things. And not only is it okay, like you can be applauded and Oh, by the way, we're all going through it anyway. Like it's going to, the hardships are going to look differently in each of our lives. Some of us may be getting sober. Some of us may be doing other things or divorce or sickness or whatever it is, but all of us have it. So we can either, again, pretend we don't and not talk about it, or we can change the actual lighting of our culture to have an acceptance and appreciation and an applauding of the people who take the risk to be vulnerable and show up. Mm -hmm. And the more people who are living this out and supporting it and sharing their stories and supporting others who are daring enough to, I mean, Brene Brown is so spearheaded this entire vulnerability and vulnerability in the workplace, but um, who are daring enough to do that. And because it's, it, it can make you really afraid for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cause you don't know what that's going to be. You don't know like how people are going to take it or how they're going to judge you. You don't know in a corporate setting, like is your boss going to show up? Am I going to be fired for this? If they know that I'm pregnant or that I'm, you know, going through a divorce or I, I, I'm battling the sickness. So the more we can change like the underlying fabric of our culture, our corporate culture, uh, our corporate culture, you know, vast culture, but like our corporate culture that these are the conversations we had at work. These are the way managers 
approach wellness. This is the type of culture we're committed to creating in our specific work environment. And then one company does it, and then another company does it, and another company. And suddenly we've changed the like the fabric of corporate America, essentially. So to further answer your question, what really helps in this process is having an internal leader champion. So I've noticed hmm. the clients that have been the most successful um, versus the clients that have been like the least successful, like where we had a lot, you know, maybe we had attrition or we didn't feel like we had as much change as we had with the, some other clients that it's like, oh my God, everyone like changed their lives and is better and more well and this whole culture, they've all connected. And like what happens in those, in those situations and what we've definitely noticed is the importance of this like internal champion leader. They have to be in a role of leadership within sure. that organization who they show up and they engage with the content and they're like, as I'm up there, like giving me shit, like, what, what are we doing there? Are you sure about that? You know, like engaging and pushing back at the same time being like, oh yeah, like I definitely have struggled with this and this is how I came out the other side. And that's why this is important. Um, showing that it absolutely like you watch that person do it and then all of a sudden everyone like floods in behind them because they've just modeled that this is the culture we want this is the way you show up this is i'm i'm being brave they're they're also inviting an authenticity so now the other employees um are safe and like it's okay for them to show up and be authentic and question but also talk about their struggles we have found that to be like such an integral piece of the puzzle that from here on out, we purposefully make sure we have that internally, like with, with our clients we take on. Yeah, it sounds to me like it's just a really great approach that doesn't lead to a sense of isolation when you step into the office place, you know, that uh, nobody, uh, we all have points. I know you've been there and we'll get into it here in a bit, talk a little bit more about why you're so passionate about what you're doing, but where we yeah. feel a sense of isolation, no one will understand. Totally. No one, and worse, 100%. no one cares. Yeah. What and even worse worst? than that, like what if I do show up and I get totally judged or someone uses mm. that information that I was like really vulnerable and sharing against me, you know, and what if I made fun of instead of it? Like, we're adults, but all of those things are really painful still, you know, yeah. even as adults, not, not just as children. Well, it's interesting yeah. to point that out, not just children, but a, we, we, you know, the vast majority of our traumas, as we, you know, we've talked about here. Yes, there are gateway drugs, but trauma is one of the greatest ones to do it. And we carry so much from our childhood into adulthood that formulates the way we see ourselves. And it's hard to break. And I'm sure that you've ran into it. And I know you've been through it personally, too, as, yeah, a, as um, have I. Oh, my God. I still go back to this. So another thing that we teach in week one or course one is this structure of here. I'll do it backwards to the camera. But like you have a belief that leads to a thought that leads to a feeling that leads to a behavior. And so we show that structure right in the real beginning. So your core belief, whether you know you have it or not, is going to lead to your thoughts around what, how you react and what you think about the things happening at you, coming at you, um, which leads to feelings around that, which leads to behavior. And I'm sure, like, there, I'm sure there's a lot of it 
around, I'm sure in like in in the recovery process, talking about that structure, we're, we're working through that structure at all times, whether we know it or not, which is why it's so important, as you were saying, to understand past trauma, to understand what these core beliefs that we're operating out of are, because then we can identify which one of those, like if they're true or not. So often it's a false belief. Now that's leading to false, like (laughs) thoughts we shouldn't even have because the belief wasn't even real. And which then leads to feelings about it. And we, we take action, right? Absolutely. Um, So we find, and we really teach that like, you can get down to this belief level. Like for instance, if you have the core belief that like life should be easy, right? Which I had at one point and I didn't really have that belief. I just was surprised at like the hardship, right? But now we know like hardship is totally a part of life, but that it can be redeemed if you yeah. let it. The belief leads to the thought of like, okay, life should be easy. So now these challenges happening. And my thought is like, why me? And it's so hard. And who can I blame? You know, which leads to feelings of perhaps despair or hopelessness, um, which leads to the action of maybe, you know, throwing the blankets over my head and giving up. Right. Sure. But if you have that core belief that no, hardship is a part of life, there is no growth, no wisdom, no maturity without walking through hardships. That's why they're there. So I know that they're going to be here. So that's now my core belief, which leads to the thought of like when hardships come, I ask myself, what is this here to teach me? How can I grow from this? How can I utilize this for my growth? Which now leads to feelings of like, okay, hope and energy and encouragement, which leads to taking action in the yeah. right direction. So that's one example that I'm telling you, Jason, like if you, if you, if when challenges hit, you go back to that structure or for any type of behavioral change, if you go back to that structure, it can have some really measurable results. It's funny. You brought up the surfing with your dad. I was thinking about that when it's, when it's that development of tools, right? When we first went out, we all ate, all of us that learned to surf, boogie board, whatever it was, we'd eat shit, the wave would come in and then you learn something called duck diving, right? And all of a sudden, wow, yes, I got sure. a new tool. I can get out there a little yeah, bit far. You know, that's you learn good. to pop yeah. up on the board, et cetera, et cetera. There you go. You know, you're surfing now and you're like, yeah, what's up, bro? But it, I, it, <laughs> I, that, <laughs> if you're from Santa Cruz, like we are. Yeah. <laughs> right? Everybody was, dude, don't hang with that dude. He's a fucking kook, man. <laughs> uh, I was, uh, uh, reading Joe Dispenza's book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And it's interesting, the process mm-hmm. that you were talking about, the steps just now. And it really, you know, where people tell me what you think. And like, this is my life. This is how it is. It's how people, whatever. Oh, and the steps that, talking about that false belief. <laughs> yeah, because the steps yeah. you're talking there about it with the way we, we think and, and so forward is what creates our energy that we put out. And guess what? Once you do that, that's exactly what your life is going to be because that's all you think it is. And so that's all you're going to perceive until you start changing that process. So we talked about perspective. The second step in the process, we call it agency. So mm. course two is agency. It's human agency. Another like psych term could be self-efficacy. Mm. But the bottom line is yet we've established your hardships can be redeemed, right? We shift our perspective on them. But step, second step is yes, your hardships can be redeemed, but uh-huh, you have to do it. You are the one that has to do it. And so that's why we talk about the road not to transition. And we talk about a lot about fear and pushing through fear. Um, I tell my story of that when I was going through a particularly hard time. I, st- well, I went back to writing, which I tell my clients all the time. I am like a huge proponent of a daily writing practice, minus in the morning, 
but I have now written almost every day for the last, well, 2014. So where are we, you know, eight years, seven years, seven, eight eight years, years. something like that. <laughs> okay. So if you read my writing though, that I happened like during that fall of 2014, it sounded a lot like this. God help me. <laughs> God help me. God help me. Like honestly, over and over and over and over again. Right. Well, in January, and I even like show this slide, but like in January of 2015, all of a sudden I wrote, um, I will not be a victim, victim anymore. Like I will take action. I all of a sudden believe that I'm not supposed to just wait for the, like the lesson, wait for the instruction to come to me, but I'm supposed to write my own. And I felt for you to do that. I was in a mindset where I was kind of, I thought I just like had to look for the right way forward, but suddenly everything shifted where I believed and wasn't afraid to write my own story forward mm. and take action. And let me, let me make that a little clearer. I was afraid, <laughs> I was <very laughs> afraid. Um, but I did it anyway. I knew that the fear was part of the process. You know, in the, sure. in the agency one, we talk a lot about, we have this tendency for fear to be a trigger to us that we're going in the wrong direction. It's like a stop. Oh my gosh, you know, we're right. afraid. But if you think about, if you think about, you know, here's your comfort zone and here's where the magic happens and that fear always exists between the two, then you actually reframe fear itself. So when you're feeling fear, it's actually a trigger back to you like, oh, I'm afraid. It means I'm actually moving. I'm going somewhere. I'm taking right. action. So now fear can be a trigger that you're actually walking in the right direction. And so we talk a lot about building up your bravery muscle that just like any other muscle in your body that gets stronger through exposure to resistance, uh, fears is the same, that bravery muscle. The more you do it and the more you walk forward, even though you are afraid, then the stronger that muscle becomes, which is why you see a lot of entrepreneurs put themselves in position like almost daily to do something that makes them afraid, right? Because then yeah. you become less and less afraid just in general. And more so like you're used to, like I remember during that time, I literally had, and we called it, we called it the pit at Flourish because my best friend and I came up, called it that like during that time, like, oh, I have the pit, but it's that like fear in your stomach. Yeah. Now I know it's probably what people call anxiety. <laughs> but I had it like, no joke, major the fear pit for like a solid year and a half, day in, day out. But I just knew that keep walking forward, keep walking forward. It, it almost became familiar. Like it was like, sure. oh, that's just my fear pit. But that means I'm right, walking in the right direction. So the wrong, going back to that reframing, right? That belief. So when you're aware of that process, that you can actually, that beliefs are malleable, is that the right word? Like you can, you can move them and bend them yeah. and you don't, they're not, they're not, you know, stiff. You can choose the ones that serve you, but you have to be able to identify what those beliefs are in the first place. And then you have to have the knowledge and the belief in itself that you, you can do that. You can change that. Uh, yeah. A real adjustment of neural pathways because, you know, Hey, you're, you're the way you see you now doesn't have to be set. It's going to bend. It's going to yeah. change. And life's going to change whether you like it or not. I guarantee right. it. Shit's coming your way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's interesting that you distinguish that about fear because, it, I, you know, what I'm hearing is oftentimes people associate fear with danger and they don't necessarily correlate. Right. No, they, we do as humans, and I really believe in the power of that, have that um, like instinctual deer in a meadow, like fear to like run. Sure. Um, and we even talk about how do you distinguish in the course we talk about how do you distinguish between that 
instinct, fear instinct that tells you like, stop, this is danger. And that healthy fear, that means going forward. And this is an area, so another thing we talked about in the class is the vast majority of the class is very, very vetted and research backed, and we pull from the, the, the existing science. But just like the scientific method, some of the data that's out there, we don't, we know things, but we don't really know why we know them yet. Um, and this is one of those areas. I love this area. And Malcolm Gladwell talks about it really well in his book, Blink. But this idea of like, what's better, like cognitive thought or instinctive judgment? Another question might be what you and I are talking about. Like, how do you know if it's instinctive fear um, or if it's instinct and telling you to stop or that healthy fear to keep going? And one, I, I had read this somewhere and it resonates really true to me is that you get really quiet with yourself, like get all the other noise around and you pay attention. Like you think about that thing, like, do I go this way or do I go that way? Especially in decision-making and you listen to what your body does, like in the split second, right after you think, you know, you think you say yes to it, whatever. Is it a like kind of inner dread closure type feeling? Or is it a, yes, fear, but it's kind of exciting, but you're kind of afraid. Is it that? And I personally, like, it's never shown me wrong. And I've found a lot of, um, I don't know, good, like, way forward just doing that exercise. Yeah, I'll have to employ that or reach out and yeah. <laughs> go, hey, talk, talk me through this. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, boy, yeah. we got so much we could talk about. We'll probably have to do a part two, but I want to talk. Kimberly Stark. Uh, is your Iron Woman yeah. suit there somewhere? I had to make a last uh, name joke. I know. <laughs> I know. You're not the first. <laughs> you know me since I was a kid. The guy that comic yeah. books aren't cool. You just wait. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. That sure showed you. I mean, like, showed everyone else, right? How cool right? are adventures now? Now I've watched all of them. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, shoot. Uh, so what made you want to start Flourish Consultancy? What were some of the things that, that you went through? I mean, I know yeah. somewhat, but, you know, a lot of challenges, you know, like I said, we grew up together, my broken home, eventually your parents divorced, and you've gone through some of your own stuff with your own kids, marriage and everything else. So what really led yeah. you on this path? Because it's it's been fascinating. And I love watching you grow and your company mm -hmm. grow and supporting my friend and just seeing her mm -hmm. do amazing things. But it wasn't mm -hmm. always that way. No, for sure. Yeah. So um, as you know, I had four kids in five years through my 20s and early 30s. And during that time, I was a stay-at-home mom. And I would gather little bits of wisdom and information. There were no podcasts at the time, uh, at least that I did. So it was all, you know, like, like a notes from a good sermon I heard or a good book I read or maybe a handout at a mom's group. And I started to gather these little bits of wisdom and physically filed them in my <laughs> in my desk and labeled it Kim's life skills class. <laughs> and that's where it existed because I found like these little bits of information really always like revolved around these key. Now I know them to be key areas of well-being, right? Sure. Finances, mothering, homemaking, uh, food and nutrition, relationships. So I actually filed these important bits of wisdom that were meaningful to me over the years for about 10 years, like in my file, physical file cabinet. And so I always had this acorn of an idea of a life skills class. And it was really answers. It's a solution to the problem of that there's a gap in the education between what we know, what we learn when we're young and what it actually takes to 
physically like adults, successfully adults. And so what I wanted in that life skills class were like, what are the things that fill that gap? So in my head, that's always what it was. And the market really was like this uh, graduating seniors who are going into college or college going into adulthood. Like, what do we need to teach people? What are the things that I wish I knew during that time? Right. Okay. So that's where it sat for many years. And then I went through my own crisis where, you know, to give you one little slice, like I found myself on the floor sitting on carpet that smelled like wet dog because I had moved back into a condo that we had owned in the under the just like trashed it. Um, newly single mother of four kids with no job, no corporate work experience for a really, really long time. Um, no access to my money because he had actually removed my access to money at the time and actually and no idea how to start. The weight wow. of that moment felt like absolutely terrifyingly crushing as you can imagine and as i would imagine like your listeners all of us have felt at some time but for me little by little like i pitched myself in my first corporate job i mean no idea what i was doing but learned quickly um and then bought my first car if you can imagine ever and my first home and now have launched a business And so with that, I am here to tell you as a real life example that your hardships, whatever those things that you feel at the moment are going to crush you, they can be redeemed. That is where the passion of Flourish comes. Now, as they tell you, I pitched myself into a corporate job at the time. It was sales. It was was business travel sales. And um, as you know, my mom had been in the travel industry. So I was like, where am I going to go? I started there and then I got a business sales job and blah, blah, blah. So I was in business travel sales for a few years. And always though, in the back of my mind, there was this like aching for this thing that I didn't really know what it was. Like I knew it was like life class. I'm like, is it a blog? Is it a podcast? Like what is this thing? Um, um, But then fast forward to, but I had no bandwidth between being a single mom and learning a new career and trying to keep my head above water and fully rebuild everything. Um, it wasn't a priority. (laughs) (laughs) And then came March of 2020 when uh, I was doing business travel sales and the entire travel industry shut down. So I got laid off quickly. Like she shut it, the owner of our travel company just shut it down as I give her props for doing because I know it's a really hard decision. And she had to in order to survive just for herself. But I knew... Definitely one of like three things that happened that were incredibly challenging over like a very short period of time. And I have learned to identify those times where all of a sudden it feels like like the shit is at the fan. Like one thing that like your dog dies, your person breaks up with you and you lose your job, right? Like all of that. And I've known them to be, some people may call them shit storms, but I know them to be sacred storms. Like the universe is getting your attention for something. Like it's too darn coincidence that all this is happening at the same time. I felt that way at that time. And I knew for me, it was like, here's my opportunity. I just laid off. I literally have this opportunity to build this thing, which again, I didn't even know what it was yet. Um, now is the time to do it. So in the spring of 2020, I wrote the program, I wrote the curriculum, and then I did two rounds of beta through the spring of 2020 and the fall, I'm sorry, in the summer. So by fall, I'm like, oh, 
networking. Like this is this is a thing. Um, so I decided to take it to market in the corporate space because with my business travel background, that was what I was used to doing. I was used to pitching CFOs, CEOs, heads of HR to sell them travel. And now I was like, going to sell them <laughs> my program. Um, and I just thought that that was the fastest way to market to get this thing, you sure. know, this company up and running. So we did. I pitched some clients in the fall and we started getting corporate clients in the fall of 2020. When we rounded the corner into 2021, we, we had pushed into education. So I got my first school district and also university by that time. And then we've just been expanding from there. Um, I, you know, as when you and I were talking the other day, like I definitely feel, and I think all entrepreneurs feel, I don't know when you hit that point where you're like, I've made it. Like we're good now. We've reached that point of like critical mass where you can actually take a breath. I don't feel that way yet, but I also am very mindful that I don't want to lose like all these micro like celebrations of the micro steps forward um and again going back to fear like letting the fear of of the unknown of care you know being an entrepreneur and you have a real a very real um job to make sure the company continues to expand and you keep making money and keep, people keep being happy about your services uh, while at the same time being super present and all like the <laughs> good stuff for that new client, that expansion, um, and celebrating those little wins along the way that you'll miss if you live in the fear as an yeah. entrepreneur. Well, and you, you nailed one of the most challenging things that I think people are trying to engage more in. And I know everyone said that this was the brilliance of Michael Jordan. It wasn't so much his prowess on the court. It was his ability to be present. Mm. What are some of those tools for you? Because like you shared here to break it down, all of a sudden, single mom of four, nothing, like nothing. nothing. If people miss, missed it, Kimberly was yeah. left with nothing. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> and also like no job, like no work in a really long time. Like going back yeah. to the office that first time, Jason, I was so afraid. I didn't know the language. Like sure. you don't even realize in corporate America, if you've been in it since you graduated college, like there is a whole language that people know. Like, let me circle back to that. And da, 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 da. like, there's a full sure language. And so learn, even learning all of that language is a new adventure. Oh yeah. Jargon can be overwhelming. Yeah. How do you write a corporate email? I mean, I didn't, those basic things that people learn in their early twenties that I didn't learn. It definitely was like a speed, got to get that under my belt. But it comes quickly, like when you're immersed in that. Uh, well, you've always been great at that stuff. What was the challenges though that, that, you know, I think would be really great for anyone listening, be it a mental health struggle, addiction, or whatever it is, that with the parenting, you know, because like you said, four kids, four, you just, you're a rock star. Four of them, uh, you know, the boys, and these aren't kids that aren't involved. Like you're, you know, you're getting them to everything, sports and activities and clubs. Yeah. How was it that you were able to focus and, and manage this stuff? I mean, I'm sure there's times where you're pulling your hair out, but where you were really able to just, you know, look at the nuances and get focused. Yeah. So a couple answers to go back to your like original question just before that on presence, on being present, mm. like what are some of the tools you have on being present? I would go back to, um, I would go back to, again, I can't say enough how much I supported daily, uh, 
a daily writing practice. One mm. of the things is the third step, the third step is imagination. And we go into that in another podcast. But one of the things we have them do is, is to, um, I had come across this idea of preemptive gratitude um, in a podcast actually that I was listening to. And so she said, you know, write down the three things that you want to happen by the end of the day. And, um, but write, don't just write them down, like write them down in the structure of, I am so grateful that I am so grateful that three things. So I was like, whatever, I'll try this and see what happens. And, um, so wrote them down. And then at the end of the day, I looked back and none of them had come true. So I was like, this is shit. And I just, (laughs) (laughs) but because I go back and read what I have written months ago, I went back like four months later. Um, and not only had all three come true, they had come like, I'd like blown them out of the water, like way bigger than I had even just written. So I was like, hmm, I'm like, what, what is this? Like, what's the science behind this? Like, why did this work? And, um, so I started a practice of, um, and we go into that science more and more in the imagination course, but to answer your question, like of both, how do I juggle the kids and how do I stay present? this practice of being really clear about um, what I want in through the form and the lens of preemptive gratitude, utilizing, um, utilizing like number one, it gives you focus. Like you actually figure out what you want, right? And you write mm-hmm. it down, but you're utilizing the idea of practicing as if you're already grateful for it. So with that, like for instance, on the kids, I'm super mindful about where each of their own key areas of well-being are. And I'm writing it down constantly, you know, like I'm constantly, you know, like kids, kids thriving, or we should say kids flourishing, right? To not to my company, but like, that's a real big thing. So I'm constantly taking stock of exactly where they are right now. Where do I, where would I hope for them to be? Because you do, especially in parenting, you hit this point, like in high school, really, for me, at least my kids, um, where you become less of a instructor and more of like a support coach, like right. someone that they come they're they're making their way. And if you're, you know, trying to do it right, like they're taking agency over their own lives and, and trying to make decisions. And they're totally, you know, it's a great time really, I think, to let them make some mistakes because it's the cost is less when they're making mistakes kind of at this age versus later in life. But um, so anyway, I'm definitely checking in with, and also like, are we achieving that? Are we, are we moving forward in those areas? Um, And that also goes back to being present. Another thing like with the managing of all the things is to make a commitment to be really present in whatever moment you're in. Mm-hmm. As a CEO, I could absolutely let the sales or the new product or anything like that occupy my mind 100% of the time. And I could have my kid like in my face telling me a story about what's happening in the school. And it's super easy to not be hearing the story because you're thinking about that prospect you need to call back or whatever it is. But I think uh, making a commitment to be present in, in whatever one, whatever moment that is. So when I'm with my kids, I try to be really present when I'm with them. And when I'm with my work or sharing space on a podcast or conversation with a friend, like to mm-hmm. be really present in that. I heard Marie Forleo said this one time, um, I don't do overwhelm. Hmm. And it comes down to like, just say like a belief, right? Like she's like, I don't do overwhelm. And so when I first heard that, I'm like, like what 
that even mean? That we have the total ability to just say, I don't do overwhelm. So when the things stack on and stack on and stack on, instead of actually like letting ourselves feel overwhelmed, knock one thing out at a time, go back to that like really present, present in this one thing and knock that out and knock that out and knock that out. And pretty soon, you know, you're not going to be overwhelmed, but that's been a helpful tool for me in managing a lot. Thank you for sharing that because that, that I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to use it. I'm going to, I'm going to put that on my little mantra thing. I, right. I will not be overwhelmed because I, one of my defects of character is still that people pleasing. And it's like, uh, I don't have to fulfill that for you. You know, I don't have to fulfill yeah. that for you either. Now there's a difference when you oh get an gosh. order from the boss that, Hey, this is our deadline, different thing, but like, yeah, that's kind of your shit. And I'm going to let you handle that. You know, it's a, uh, it's a really good tool. Cause I know that's where my overwhelm comes from majority of the time. Ooh, like other people's expectations. I told you, I came across this book. I like even put it next to me, codependent no, no more. It might be interesting for your listeners yeah. um, because so much of it is like the other side of addiction. Right. And um, this, like I read the first couple paragraphs like in my dermatologist like appointment <laughs> there like at nine and it was so like here's tears like running down my face to where I came home and cleared my calendar for the rest and just like read the rest of the book that day <laughs> that's how much I would like totally support it but beyond addiction beyond codependency like that what you're talking about of us even feeling responsible for I totally did that I was mm. I was concerned about um other people's emotional state. And so I would do things to make sure they were okay. And you're right. Like we don't have to do that. We can live totally just present in ourselves and our choices. And we're not responsible for their emotional response sure. to it. Especially if we know where um, our true intention isn't to cause harm. It's just to live our own life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, in my, yeah. my, my recollection, uh, you know, people missed it. We haven't shared personal. God, it's been longer than 20 years, actually. But I always That's remember cool. you as a child also being a very empathetic person. If someone was crying. You oh. were a comforter. You were a nurturer. And I so was crying, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't that you yeah. were like, they're crying. Why are you crying? Still in their thunder? No, no it's like, just it, it no was that connection. Them. Yeah. And so yeah. that's a really hard thing to learn to start to develop that it's like, okay, you're in your emotion, it, your state of mind. It has nothing to do with me. I'll be here present but I'm not going to share in it. It's like, oh, that's Jason, so hard. That's so crazy because you're right. Like you knew me in elementary school. The vast majority of people I interact with now did not know that little girl, right? right. But to your point, and so I've refined that part of me. Well, that was definitely like my natural state is someone who's very empathetic as you saw as a little girl. And over time and maturity, you have this level of equanimity, which is my favorite word, um, of remaining like cool, calm and collected under pressure or in those situations where your emotions, you, you can still be empathetic, but maybe you won't cry for them like <laughs> I did when I was a little girl. But anyway, it's it's so interesting to me because like, I've kind of forgotten about that, but like sure. as someone who witnessed that person and me not being around people who sort of knew me then, right. it's, it's cool to hear and see and be like, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. 
Yeah. Ah, we could go on and on and on about childhood here. Yeah. <laughs> the things that we discovered just to let people in, we had a great conversation on the phone. And I went, wow, Kim, did you realize we had so many friends in our group that were going through traumas? It's like, wow, the amount of people that have opened up. Right. You know, us yeah. uh, late 70s, 80s children, it was like, uh-huh. oh, my God, the latchkey kids to a certain extent. Yeah, no, you're right. But I would even argue it's just that now we know about it. And right. I find that everywhere I go, because this is the nature of what I do, I think people are quick to tell me their stories and open up because they just know that this is my work. And with that, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, like. You can't, you almost can't find someone who would be like, no, I haven't gone through this really challenging thing. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the journey of life itself. That's what life feels like. Um, Like that fear, that pit in the stomach, the hardship, it is what life feels like. So we can either find some tools and um, models, like a flourish model to help us navigate this. Or we can numb through addiction or, you know, like it's going to happen. We're just now we have the choice to what's the healthiest way forward. Yeah. Uh, One of my mentors, Greg Champion, put it best that uh, no book, no song, no movie was ever written about anyone with a flat life. You know, we're going to have them. And, And I. And I love what you're saying and what you do, because I think for our generation and I think a lot of people, you know, there's always that these kids nowadays, because we remember when people said that about our generation is I'm seeing the younger generation now actually really striving more for an emotional maturity than they're given credit. And I think, you know, that's that's what our generation we're kind of seeing. Like our parents were great. We love our parents. I, I, you know, anything that was ever, my parents were human. Your parents were human, beautiful people. Uh, As you know, I adore your folks. And um that they just it was a different day and age you know they were coming out of a generation that was the you know the it was depressionary then the you know world war ii and that was you know our grandparents and and then baby boomers and their you know emotional maturity and these conversations were not there and so it's so great that- well they didn't have the the language number one no. they didn't have the education they didn't have the language and they didn't have the culture that says, hey, it's okay to show up and, and talk about this. And I think yeah. those three things are really, and not even like that they would be fundamentally against it. I just don't think they even knew it existed. No. And now we do. And now which is, you're so right on because now I have little almost adults, you know, my daughter will be 18 and my son is for sure 16 going on like 25 <laughs> and um, they already are having for sure these understandings and these conversations and among their friends. I love, you know, as you know, like our connection one goes a lot into the characteristics of abuse and language around that. And mm-hmm. in our generation, that was not something you talked about. No. And um, now I hear like in my Vanguard class, which is a university here, like the the men and women, the, the even the conversations around abuse, like it just rolls off their tongue where before I think people like, oh, can, can we talk about this? You know, is this something um, where now they, they just say it. It's more of their common language, which is great. Which is great, 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 great. 
It really is. I mean, there are so many things that we, like you said, there wasn't even a vernacular for it. Nobody knew what gaslighting was. No, nobody right. knew, you know, right. uh, uh-huh. we just kind of, oh, you know, that's the way it is. Or this person wears the pants in the relationship, or that's just their right. personality. That's as opposed normal, to, or that's just, marriage, or yeah. Yeah, or, or that's right. how the boss is. It's like, no, they're, they're kind of being shitheads. <laughs> Maybe unaware, unaware that they were being a shithead, because that's the model behavior yeah. prior. And we can really change that's the right. model of social interaction behavior You're communication. It. You're seeing it even in sports, which is really cool to see. Yes. Like all that stuff that came out. Sean McVay and um, them talking about like the different way he led. That was much more instead of this, do it, do it, come on, you know, but it's like more emotionally mature, supportive. And you can see, um, I know at least I've like read the team talking about that. That was for sure a, a reason for their success in the more recent years. Absolutely. Well, Kim, uh, we're going to do some fun random questions because who knows if we're going to just (laughs) throw random questions. All right. (laughs) So flourish. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to envision this now. I'll even help you write and produce it. Flourish uh, consultants in the movie. Who's playing Kim in the movie? You know, besides me, because I have an acting background, can I play myself? (laughs) (laughs) Also, another thing we did together as kids, acting classes. Yes. Oh, my God. That's right. Mrs. Bowman. Yeah. So, me, man, there's so many fantastic female actors. You know who I really like is, um, ah, I don't know her name. But she's incredible, and she's the daughter of, is it, like, Meg Ryan? I don't know. I'm failing at this question because I can see her face, and I don't know her name. But she's the daughter of, like, two really famous actors already, and I've always thought that she just has a really real demeanor. What have you seen her in? She was in a movie with Johnny Depp that I'm also forgetting the name of. That was, like, that gangster movie. She also, I think, was in um, Fifty Shades of Grey. I think she was the lead in that. Oh, yeah, and okay. What's her name? She's so good. Like, she's just really, um, it was really, it actually was the Johnny Depp movie that was, like, about a major gangster that I thought she just did such a great Dakota role. Johnson? Did a great job. Yes. There Dakota, Johnson. Dakota Johnson. Okay. That would be her. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah, Don Johnson and Melly, Melly Griffin. Yeah. Uh, gr- yeah. Her, the gr- Griffith, gr- Griffin, Griffith, whatever. Her, their yeah. daughter. That's right. <laughs> Dakota Johnson. That's right. I don't know. I never saw Fifty Shades. Was it Donnie Brasco she was in? Was that the one? Trying Is that it? I can't remember the name, but it was like, I mean, it was intense. But uh, she played like the wife of one of them and just was like, she's just really good, I think. Now, now it's going to bother me. I ended up being invited. That's it. That's it. Um, Black Mass. I ended up being invited because through a SAG thing to watch that when it came out and then they were interviewed. I mean, like we're talking about Johnny Depp now. This moment is really a hot topic. But then it wasn't But I got to see them, like him talk in person and talk about the movie. Another thing he said, this is so random. You can probably cut this out if you want to. But he's what he said in real life is he, he said, as I watched him say it, and you can tell it stuck with me, he said, fame 
doesn't um, change people. It reveals people. Right. So the, what that fame does, are you going to like kick in harder and dig into your ego or are you going to be more generous? Um, I don't know. I always really liked that. Yeah. I find that it, definitely fame, wealth, all those things are there. Well, you know, yeah. yeah, it's like that saying wealth is the root of all evil. No, nah, it depends on who you are. Um, one thing right. we didn't talk about that I really wanted to align being that you're a person of, of faith, that importance of faith in your life that it's that it's played throughout this whole process. Ooh, that's, a, that's a good question, Jason, because um, as you know, like I've been a person of faith since I was little, little, yeah. little, like it always really resonated with me. Um, I ended up so much so I went to I graduated from Christian University. I married a worship leader. We were involved in the church for many, many years. I started churches. I started mom's groups within churches. It was a part of the fabric of the way my worldview and the way I lived my life for many years. Going through something like a divorce where you have to question the beliefs you had, particularly that someone should stay married forever. Um, I had to redefine I definitely in that process thought if I thought this is the best idea to leave my marriage, does that mean that I'm leaving God? Because that's the only way I know that's the only way it existed together. Like sure. I, these were my people, these who I were committed to and committed to taking care of the rest of my life. And when there's a tension between two things being true, namely, these are my people that I'm supposed to take care of the rest of my life. And is really unhealthy and I can't go on, then how do you, how do you, um, how do you pair those? How do you make sense of both of those truths that are opposite? And so in that process, I have definitely been on a journey, particularly around the way I view God and I view faith. I had to understand God and faith and religion and Christianity much differently than I did before. I would still consider my myself a person of faith, but I, and there, there are those moments where I'm like, especially like in those earlier years where I was definitely like, God, you're still with me, right? Like, you're still there. <laughs> um, or like you have those little prayers of like, I got this, I'm doing it, I'm owning my agency. But like, if you're ever going to help, like now would be the time. Right. <laughs> this would be the time to intervene or help or do something, you know? Uh, so definitely throw out some of those prayers. I definitely, um, I definitely believe wholeheartedly that there is an underlining purpose for good that he, the universe has allowed through my story. And I am mindful of that as I teach, like when I'm up there, I'm mindful of that. As I'm still in the middle of some challenges, I, I believe that there's a larger conversation and a larger story that my story can impact and help and bring a voice to. And I believe that God is a part of that. And I do believe that like, that when we find purpose, um, there's a thread of sacredness to that. 
Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, well, one of my uh, sayings, I don't remember if I stumbled upon it, somebody said it, or I kind of took an amalgam of things, but it's the, you know, people without purpose seek pleasure. And I know for me, that was where it was going. And thank you for sharing about faith, because it was a thing I struggled with, because, boy, if there was a God, why would these things have happened to me? So that victim mentality, as opposed to what can I learn from it, um, you know, be it childhood. And then especially my adult decisions, anything I chose to do with actions, relationships involved with, guess what? I don't yeah. care to blame God because he probably gave me a bunch of lessons beforehand to learn and quit repeating the same pattern. So, you yeah. know, for me, it was a real struggle to lose that, that anger and go, but, and see the, no, I am loved. I, 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 and I do have a purpose of servitude and to be able to help people. So thank you for that vulnerability. And the reality of this too, is we live in a very broken world as mm. much good as we can, we have the ability to contribute. And as much as I believe God's good work is here and with us. And I, I say that probably in a bigger context that I once did in the realm of Christianity. I, um, the, the truth is the world is, there's a couple truths. The truth is you have to walk through hardship to grow. So there's going to be a certain amount of hardship that comes like in order to be a wise person, you have to have been through some things like there's mm -hmm. no other way to get there. Secondly, and this is incredibly top of mind because the church that just um, had the shooting was yeah. the church that I got married in and met oh my, my husband and we led worship and my kids were hours upon hours upon hours running through that same space where wow. the shooter was, which is mind blowing. I, I honestly still can't wrap my head around it. But to your point of like, how do, can we believe that a God would allow, like a good God would allow stuff like that to happen? Unfortunately, um, like our world is broken and people, we still have people making choices that are uh, shocking to us and they come from brokenness and honestly there's also true evil and um so all of that is true and all of that is at play but at the same time we have we have to hold on to and acknowledge like to your point our the, the kind of beauty of this is that our actions and our contributions actually make impact and can make impact for good one of my favorite like little clips is the Steve Jobs clips where he says like, look around, everything around you has been created by someone no smarter than you. And mm -hmm. you have the ability to, you know, when you press into the world, something else pops out and you have that ability to create things and do things that other people can use. And that's exactly how I feel about Flourish. I feel that this is, for a long time, I didn't know that. I thought other people did all the things. I didn't really know how it happened. I definitely didn't think I was a player in that mix. And now I believe wholeheartedly, like, this is me being in the game. This is my contribution to help. These are the things that help me overcome quite a yeah. lot and yeah. can potentially help others. And so every time I have, like, a new aha or, like, learn something, my next step right after that is, like, how can someone else use this or 
who can I tell? <laughs> we're all going to this into like the program, you know, and sure. make it something that someone else can use because people are hurting and we don't have a plan and a way forward. And sometimes that's all we need is just like a plan. And we yeah. need a community of people who can support you in that. Yeah. Mentorship yeah. is is so key. All right. Let's see. Another fun, random question. Uh, you are on a deserted island. You've got one movie and one music album with you. What are they? So there's been a few movies that I've just like super loved recently. Um, I really loved Inception. I really loved mm. The Social Network. I loved The Big Short. I watched the movie Lucy, which I would not recommend because um, it's really upsetting in the beginning. Mm. And um, but it freaking blew my mind because it made me think like, God, you know, there's this Anyway, this thing, and it's, there's a lot of that, like, the pull from the science of are we really using the majority of our brain? Have you seen the movie? Yes. Anyway, like, yes. okay. So it blew my mind just in that, like, God, can I just, like, I pictured this scaffolding that we're all kind of stuck in, and you have this little person here, and can you just, like, level up your mind and remove yourself from all that scaffolding, which is the, you know, the kind of bullshit that surrounds us all? Can we just, like, take ourselves out of it? So that one I'm tripping out on right now that I love. Um, I really loved Limitless. That was another one that I watched recently with Bradley Cooper. Um, so there you go. That's more than one. And then album. Um, I can answer what I, the artist that I've listened to probably more than any other artist in the last two years is Taylor Swift. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I totally dug into like her two albums that she came out with last year and i just i'm just I'm such a fan i'm such a fan you know why because her music and her writing and her presence exudes agency it exudes like coming oh really you want to mess with me watch this like watch what i can do and i love that about her and i love that she's um teaching the generation beyond her that to come at life with that from that position that position of like offense versus defense yeah gumption yes gumption, gumption. yeah totally throwback word yeah <laughs> i love the word gumption oh my god that's another one of my favorite 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 movies is um the holiday holiday that's of course that movie. of course favorite classic yeah. stuff I thought you'd pull something from our childhood. I was expecting Dirty Dancing or something like that. I'm glad that you got some, you, <laughs> you know, expanded your taste. You know, what's funny is that my son, my 12-year-old, is all about 80s rock and <laughs> 90s rock. Like, he's all Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and he's, like, so impressed that I actually, like, went to this concert, which I can say I did in, the, right in high school. <laughs> I'm actually going to see Pearl Jam tonight once we are done. I'm you? To see him. I've never seen him. Oh. Never seen them, you okay. know, out of all uh -huh. the probably 300 plus concerts I've been to over 20 years of radio, you know, so uh, yeah. Uh, let me find what's one other good one. Uh, uh, all right, this is always a fun one. All right, Kim, uh, pet peeves, what just irks the shit out of you? Hey, you know what's funny? You know what? I absolutely drives me crazy, and I get ridiculously like unreasonably upset about. When people back in the parking spaces. Oh, right. I'm like, Drop the mic. I'm leaving. Really? Oh. Why? 
why are you doing that? It's so unnecessary. <sighs> like you either back out first or you back out second. Like, I don't know why it's totally not based in any sort of like research or data or reason or like even reasonableness. But even talking about it now, I have like an emotional response. To it. <laughs> I think it's the because I can. <laughs> I don't know. Like I almost view it as like an ego thing or I don't know. Like, uh, why are you doing that? <laughs> where I live, it tends to be pickup trucks. Yes, totally. I think that too. Pickup yeah. trucks. Maybe there's yeah. a reason people do it, but um, uh, and there's yeah, really no reason I should be upset about it, but it does drive me crazy. Yeah, I get the pickup truck a little bit more, but if you're driving a Tesla or a Prius, come on, we don't need to back that into a space. There is no reason. You got 97 <laughs> right. cameras and everything else. <laughs> right. Oh, heck. Right. Well, I could go on forever, my friend, uh, but mm. I'd like to leave you with some last positive thoughts about the things you're doing. We didn't even touch on all of it, so we'll have to loop back here in a few months mm. and down the road and kind of touch yeah. on the problem progress and additional tools that you've developed that uh, help others, but floor is yours. What can you lend to people? Um, I want, I want people to really, um, you know, live in the reality that like whatever your hardship is, don't it's this number one is a season you know we, we've seen an increase like in suicide in the last several months and it's this it's it really falls in the realm of like it's really bad and it's never going to change and so what i would really hope is that no one reaches that place and if they reach that place they understand like this is a moment in time that passes it, it won't always be like this and so i think in the same vein i want people to realize like that the hardships that we face, like as hard as they feel, like they for sure can pass them. You use them for your good. There's a, there is a story on the other side. And yes, you have to do it. And it's a lot of hard work, but it's totally possible. And if you are committed and willing to do the work it takes, you really can build a really beautiful life on the other side of that. And I want people to be able to like hold on to that in those super hard moments, which I know what that feels like, um, to at least like pass those, those, those um, almost sacred times where you feel like, ah, this one might do me in, you know? I think that's what I would like to pass along.